Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. It's Tersh here again. Welcome back to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. This is my first introduction of the new year. I hope everybody's having a good year. I hope everybody closed out 2018 with a bang and then started out 2019 strong. Today's episode, it was actually recorded several weeks back. For those of you who don't follow me on Facebook or YouTube, I also have a podcast that I do locally in Savannah, and it focuses on the business leaders in the area and how they give back to the community. One of those interviews got such a good response that I wanted to release it here on this podcast also because we spoke so much about the things that we focus on with the Service Business Mastery Podcast, how to grow your business through leadership, how to grow a business itself by being a good leader. Basically, we went over a few more, but I jotted down about 10 topics that we talked about throughout this interview. Jesse and I are really good friends, so the interview itself is kind of fast-paced because we know so much about each other that it's easy to go that way whenever you're talking to somebody, especially someone as energetic as Jesse is. I didn't want you to miss out on that interview because I felt like it was so much information that I wanted to share it with you also. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to the guy who has sold books and is known worldwide. He's famous for that yellow tux, Jesse Cole of the Savannah Bananas. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and spending time with us. And if you don't know who Jesse is, you're living under a rock. Uh, the infamous man in the yellow tux. Everywhere you go, this is what you wear. It's all I own. <laughs> My wife still is married to me, which is amazing because she's like, Jesse, literally one day, can you not wear the yellow tux? But yeah. it makes decisions easy every morning. Don't need to worry about it. Right. Steve Jobs. I mean, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. No, on that note, how many decisions do you make in a day and it fatigues you? It's everything. Food, drinks. Where am I going to go to lunch? Where are we going to dinner? I eliminated one about dress. So how about food? Just eat the same thing every day? Food actually still, because I care so much about a food. I'm a foodie and it's like, there's so many great restaurants around here. There so is. I need to figure out a way to eliminate it. Maybe just have like a bucket and I you know, just pick it out and that's where I go. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Straight random. Yeah. I feel like this is where we're going to go with this conversation, right? My food choices. This <laughs> yes. is what I hope. All right. Leadership. hundred percent. Jesse's food choices. All right, yes. Here we go. 100%. So the whole point of this podcast is to say thank you. And so we want to, from the bottom of our hearts, everybody from Savannah, the business leaders, business individuals in Savannah, you've given back so much. I mean, just follow you on LinkedIn and every day you're giving away two minutes of content. One minute, one minute boost. One minute. Boost. Two minute would be too much. That's a ridiculous. All right. <laughs> one minute boost. Going, going extreme here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you do this at no cost. I mean, you're just steady pouring knowledge and there's so much stuff between your book and everything that you're giving away. And so we just really want to say thank you for everything that you've done. You brought baseball back to Savannah and not just baseball, but very successful, sold out. How many? 60? 60 straight sellouts, yeah. two straight seasons, yes. Selling it out. I mean, that's more than just baseball. You brought an entire environment to Savannah that wasn't there and probably it's, can't be duplicated, especially not here in Savannah. So it's my pleasure to say thank you for oh. everything that you've done. Why Savannah? Why did you come here? It goes back to my wife and I. The long story made longer would be that we took over a team in North Carolina, Gastonia. First started, I was 23 years old, and it was the worst performing team in the country. Fortunately, we were able to turn around by making it about entertainment and dancing players, grandma beauty pageants, you name it. And we started to create some buzz in the baseball industry. So we hosted a seminar in 2009. And we had a lot of different minor league teams there. And the managers there of one of the teams heard me talk and immediately left the conference, mm -hmm. called Emily, who was there 23 years old, working for the Augusta Green Jackets, and said, I met the guy you're going to marry. 
and was like, what are you talking about, Amy? And she literally said, well, no, this guy's crazy. He loves the promotions, loves the fun. He's just like you. He has so much energy, so much passion for it. You guys should just start talking. So we started connecting and talking. And eventually she left that team and came to work for us in Gastonia and became our first ever director of fun. And yeah. people don't know this about Emily, but she wore a hot dog costume every single day at the ballpark. No. Which uh, There's not many girls out there that'll dress up in a hot dog. Every, she was yes. perfect for me. Yes. And so I wanted to make our proposal special. And I told you this long story. I'm getting there. Oh, uh, we haven't started the long story part. <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, so at our last game of the 2014 season, I decided I'm going to propose to Emily in front of a sold-out crowd with our team in Gastonia. And we're ready to do it. It's going to be in the sixth inning in front of the whole entire crowd. But the team decided to let up nine runs in the first inning. We were getting killed. <laughs> we started doing promotions in the middle of the inning because the fans were already getting bored. Yeah, so like, we okay. rushed up the announcement into the proposal to about the fifth inning. And we had the whole staff on the field. And I came out and surprised her. And I said, I don't know if you know this, but we met for the first time right here on this field. And in front of my baseball family, in front of your family, in front of our entire family, will you make me the luckiest guy? And I dropped to a knee in the yellow tuxedo. And I had the ring inside a baseball. And I opened up the baseball. And thank goodness, she still hasn't said yes, but she ran over and hugged me. And I oh, think that was a yes. She still hasn't said yes? She, I, I'm hoping soon. but uh, <laughs> One day. <laughs> one day she will say yes. But what happened then, I had a, a surprise fireworks show. And this is the fifth inning of the game. Right. So the umpire, And you're losing. Oh, we're losing bad. And the umpires <laughs> and the teams are watching me and her on the field. All the staff has walked up. And we're just watching a fireworks show on the field. The umpire's like, are we ever going to start this game again? <laughs> Eventually, we started the game. We still lost. But the next day, Emily said, you know what? I've heard great things about Savannah. And we've no, both never been there. I'd love to surprise you. With the trip this weekend. Thank you so much for this amazing proposal. Let's start off our engagement for a great weekend. And so we went down to Savannah. I'll never forget the weekend. We actually did all the tourist things. We had someone paint our picture downtown. So we still have that with the date on it. And we ended up going to Grayson Stadium. The former minor league team was playing there. Remember as I pulled up, I was like a kid in a candy store. I looked at the stand. I was like the majestic brick. And I told Emily, I go, this is amazing. And we walked in and just you could feel the character. And I was falling in love with this ballpark. And then I walked into the grandstand with her. And I realized there was no one there. It was 80 degrees. It was a beautiful Saturday night. And it was a professional team. There's no one there. And I'm looking around I'm like, what's going on? And I watched and it was just a baseball game. And I go, oh, if we could just bring our fun and crazy entertainment here, this could be amazing. And I called the commissioner of our league that night mm-hmm. and said, if this team ever leaves, we're bringing a team here. He said, yeah. all right, Jesse, whatever you want to do, sure. Yeah. The next few months later, they said they were leaving. We started the process right there, reached out to the city. They came and saw us. And that's how we came to Savannah. Yeah. And that's where the journey started. Yeah. And it got a lot crazier over the months to come, but that's how it started. And I got to give support. I think everyone needs to think about their spouse, their significant other, their person. I mean, that's there for them. Emily is a rock. And the fact that she went on this journey is yeah. amazing. And people don't see her. She's behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. But she cares more about our people our fans than anyone knows. And she's the reason why we do a lot of things we do. So I just, I have to give her credit for oh, yeah, the, the real reasons our so success. From what it sounds that we really need to be thanking Emily for everything coming here. We wouldn't even come to Savannah <laughs> if it wasn't for her. And now she's amazing. And I think the support, I mean, it's just like, Jesse, you're in this tux running around like crazy doing all this. And she just knows how much of an impact and how much of a difference it means for me. Mm-hmm. She's hundred percent supportive. So she's the reason we're here. And then that's when the real craziness happens. Yeah, you can see her at the game if you know Emily and you pick her and Maverick out and they're just hanging out and everything. And Julie, my wife, for anybody that's watching that hasn't picked up yet on my wife's name is Julie. But anyways, she just hovers towards Emily and it's like, there's Emily, let's go hang yes. out and say, hey, because she's like the support system of the bananas and, yes. and just behind the scenes. And it's really cool. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Why the yellow tux? <laughs> I know you get that question probably. Once no, I mean, yeah, all time. Like, most... <laughs> because Gastonia, were they yellow also? Yes. Was that, was that... Yeah. So okay. it actually started at our games in Gastonia. I mean, we were doing 
the flatulence fun nights, the salute to underwear nights, the grandma beauty pageants. We were doing everything. I was like, we're putting on a show at our games. I need to be dressed like a showman. I yeah. can't just be in a regular polo. Yeah. So I thought, all right, let's get a, a tuxedo with the tails. So I first went to my buddy who owns a bridal and formal shop, made a trade because trade's the way to do. Oh, made a great trade. Yeah. We also had a, a promotion with him where men dressed up in wedding dresses and threw veils, but that was a whole other yes. thing that we would do. <laughs> so anyway, he said, all right, here's this black tuxedo. You can wear it. So opening night, I wore it. It's big black top hat, black tuxedo, the tails, and it was 100 degrees. Oh, yeah. I almost melted. It was like literally the most miserable night of my life. I was like, this doesn't work. But I love the tuxedo. So I went online and I found brightcoloredtuxedos.com. They actually exist. And bright yellow, because the Grizzlies had yellow in the color. I bought it overnight. It came over. And I wore it the next game. And people were just taking pictures, high-fiving me. My staff said that we always knew where you were. And then I started getting calls. Is the guy in the yellow tux there? I didn't have a name. I was just the guy in the yellow tux. (laughs) And from that point on, it stuck. I started wearing it at our games. And then, obviously, when it became the Savannah Bananas. Oh, yeah. It It just just fits. Perfectly. And so now I own seven. And a great story, too, about caring for people. My staff surprised me six months ago. And they came to me and said, Jesse, you look like a clown all the time because you're out there speaking, you're out there around the country, and you're wearing these overshaped, bright-colored tuxedos. So they actually had a tailor, without me knowing, find out all my sizes and custom-make a nice yellow tuxedo for when going on the road. And they surprised me. They paid for the whole thing. Oh, wow. They did it. So now I have a little more of my purpose and still look like a clown, yeah. but not a complete... A, a well-fit. A well-fit clown, yeah. which goes a long way. <laughs> That's awesome. A lot of the things that I like to do on this podcast, and a lot when I talk to someone and interview them, I really want to figure out why you are the way you are. And kind good of luck. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just back in your childhood, say childhood area, who was most influential to you and kind of shaped the way you are now? And are they still an influence in you, or is it something where like they made that influence and then you moved on to the next person? That kind of it, this is a deep question, but it's yeah. the right uh, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, people are used to me as this crazy circus guy, but I've learned that your greatest pain leads to your greatest gift. And Philip McKernan, I learned that from his one last talk. And I started thinking about back to my childhood and why I am the way I am. And it's brought unbelievable clarity to me. And my childhood was interesting. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old. My mother had a drug problem and my father fought to get custody of me because of that situation. And back then it was very difficult for a child to stay with the father. They almost always stayed with the mother. My father won out and got custody. I was eight years old, didn't know what was going on. And my father worked all the time. So my mother was out of the picture and he would work all day. Amazing father trying to provide, but he was gone a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But tells you what kind of person my dad is. He actually ended up buying a baseball facility just for me so I could play baseball. Like that's how much he cared, but he wasn't there. And I was often alone. And I mean alone all the time. Mm -hmm. I remember he'd come home during the summer and be like, what'd you do today, Jesse? And I'd be like, oh, I rode my bike to Alex's and John's. I didn't ride my bike anywhere. And I would actually lie to him to make it sound like I was doing things. And I didn't realize how much that had an impact on me till later because I was always alone, but I was also trying to fight for the affection and love of my dad because Mm -hmm. he wasn't there all Mm -hmm. the time. And I realized these last few summers in Savannah, my greatest happiness comes at the end of the game. And I know you've seen me out there and we have the pep band playing. We have the players out there. We have s'mores going, s'more stations. And I'm out there thanking the fans and hugging them And I think I realized because of my childhood, I want to be a part of something. I want to bring people together. I want to feel loved. And I also want to give back love. And I called my dad after I had this realization. I thanked him. I said, Dad, thank you so much for fighting to get me, but also for, and crazy as it sounds, not being there all the time. Because it's given me the opportunity to fight for that and work for that. And every day at the ballpark around 4,000 people, I feel like we're a part of something special. I feel like I'm a part of a family. Mm -hmm. And it impacts me every single day to make people feel that love to feel cared for and to bring them together. Mm -hmm. So that wound that I had 
as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old by myself mm-hmm. is the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's deep. Hey, I told you, I was throw people. Throw, I was gonna throw people for a loop. That was really deep. I mean, Teresa's like, what is he talking about? <laughs> well, think about this. Everybody think back to their childhood yeah. and think about the things that impacted them, and they yeah. think about what really made an impact, and that influenced them to where they are. And if people can actually feel comfort in that and feel like, you know what, the way my parents treated me here was a challenge, but it's made me the person I am, and given them the gratitude, be thankful for it. Yeah. Because everyone wants either love from their father, their mother, and they were treated differently. But that's made me who I am. So now, as a father of Maverick, who's six months old, I'm giving him love every single day. And because I wanted that. And so that might impact him in a different way. I don't know. I think, again, it's a personal why. Why do you do things? I've shared a lot of the stories of things that happened to our fans and what we've done. And that, you said, really made an impact on you. It did. But that's why we do it. Because how do we bring people together to feel something special? And that gets into a whole deep and sad, a lot of emotional stories of people who have come to our ballpark. Mm -hmm. But that's what it's all about. And it's so crazy because after you saying that, it just instantly resonates the feeling that you receive when you walk into the ballpark. Like you said, is this a family? And you go and you talk to people there at the ballpark and you become really close with them over seven, eight, nine innings. And all you're doing is standing by the fence and you just have the bananas in common with each other. And it's weird because I go to a Braves game or you go to the former minor league team that was there, (laughs) the unnamed team. You didn't have that same feeling. Like I've gone to games and just hung out by the gate where everybody goes on for in between the innings. And then instantly like, Every time I go there afterwards, we're saying, hey, what's up? High-fiving each other. It's like friends and family just instantly. And it's the atmosphere that you've created there. Well, what's the most important thing people need? It's human connection. Absolutely. Especially now, as in phones. And I mean, I've taken internet off my phone. I've taken social media off my phone. I've taken email, everything. Because it's human connection. It's this. Mm -hmm. And so that we try to provide that at a ballpark. If you notice, we don't have a digital scoreboard. We haven't invested in that. I know. I didn't notice that. All right. And all of us, you got to do that. You got to do that. We want people to escape, to connect, to feel a part of something. And at our games, when you see 4,000 people dancing Hey Baby, mm-hmm. and then three or 4,000 people singing off against each other, <laughs> you're a part of something together. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always yearned for and I wanted. And when I played ball at Wofford College in high school, I played in front of a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. The one game I ever played in front of a huge crowd, it was against South Carolina, and it was at our stadium, and I was pitching, and I was pitching well, and I was getting booed by all the fans at our home stadium because they were all Gamecock fans. Oh. All right? <laughs> that was my only experience pitching around people. So I try to do this for the players. How can they be a part of something? And they look up and say, 4,000 people. This is special. So anyways, it's going into a tangent, but that's why yeah, we do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. What made you think of that versus what made you grasp the whole doing things differently? Why even go that way? I mean, I kind of know some of the backstory yeah. of that, but what's your reason for not just making it the same old, same old? Because like, and I'll lead into this yeah. also, like I'm not a baseball fan. Yes. I haven't watched one Braves game this year. My dad's a diehard Braves fan. I mean, he'll watch them until the But day you're a dies. bananas fan. But I'm a Bananas fan all day long. I missed probably two games, three games last season. And it's an hour drive for me to get from my house to the Banana Stadium. And so, like, literally, I will leave my office, go home, get the kids, and then come back for an hour. And then at 11 o'clock at night, drive an hour, or 10 o'clock at night, drive an hour back to the house. What's special for you? Why would you put that much effort into it? Because I'm just so connection, The connections that I made with people, with other fans, the people, and then also the staff. Just everybody. I can name every staff <laughs> member there. And the weirdest thing is, is like half of them know me by first name basis just going in there. And it, I'm sure that a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm there all the time or I was there all the time. But even after like the second visit, Kiki was like, hey, Dirge, whatever. And so it's the emphasis that I feel like you've put on your team to make everybody feel welcome. But I don't really 100 percent 
understand how to translate that into every other business. Love is better than like. Okay. So many people focus on getting lots of people to like them. What if you focused on 100 people, 10 people, and making them love you and putting the effort into? And I think it's the opposite of scaling. We are so focused and care about the people that really the bananas mean so much to. And yeah. then what happens? I'm sure you've told some people about the bananas. Oh, yeah. All the time. Because we love you. We're not so focused on all those other people. We yeah. absolutely love you guys that you're part of the experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's something we focus on. And that's part of our fans' first experience. We talk about love with our staff. We tell our employees we love them. And then they will love our customers. I think some people are afraid to say the word love. Oh, yeah. We'll absolutely. hug each other. We'll yeah. love. The other day, I mean, we're, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about for us. And you asked earlier, the question leading into that great tangent was, why do you have to be different? Why did you want to be different? Yeah. And there was no other choice. When we first started in Gastonia, there was $268 in the bank account. There was 200 fans coming to the game. And I couldn't pay myself for the first two months. If we did what everyone else was doing, we would have had no team. Yeah, bankrupt. Yeah. As I say, normal gets normal results. Mm-hmm. So we had to think, what would get excitement? People weren't talking about baseball. And just like you said, you're not a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. If I looked at 90% of our fans, they're not baseball fans. Mm-hmm. Yet everyone else is playing the same game. Wins and losses, wins and losses. I don't even focus on our roster because you know what? When they're having a great time, the round of the people, the wins and losses take care of itself. Yeah. And we've had the best record the last three years know, yeah. without focusing on the baseball. That's crazy. So we had to think what was different. And you've heard me say this, but what business are you in? What business are you really in? Most companies yes. will say that they're in the heating and cooling business, they're a realtor or whatever. No. There's something much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. What you guys did for us, and you came over to our house, like we couldn't sleep because we weren't sure if the heat was working, the filters, what was going Mm on. You gave such comfort. You helped build a home for us. Mm -hmm. It's a much bigger impact. And you're a heating and cooling company to a lot of people. We're in the business of entertainment and making memories and creating these special moments that bring people together Mm -hmm. and that they'll never forget. So we had to do it different. Now, first, we had to create attention. Yes. And that's why we started doing the Banana Nanas and mm-hmm. Darius, the breakdancing first base coach, and offering President Obama an internship. <laughs> you got to create attention so people say, like, who are these guys? Mm-hmm. And then when they see what we're really all about, then it all comes together. That's the secret sauce. How do you come up with the ideas? Everybody just spitballs them all together, and then you're like, okay, that sounds the most ridiculous. Let's do that one. <laughs> I get asked that question all the time, and I think it's so funny. Yeah, well, that sounds terrible. Let's do that one. That doesn't make sense. I feel like that's the only way that I feel like I can make it work is if somebody's like, okay, we'll do that. Like, that sounds ridiculous. Okay, let's do it. The first thing, get out of your office. There's a small percentage of ideas that happen in the office. They're constrained. Get out of the office. I like to go look at the water and tie. I like to get on a rooftop. Overlook where your mind can be bigger. Inside the office, it's too small. Very few great ideas come in the office. Also, you got to work your idea muscle. And what I mean by that is if you brush your teeth every day, so you have good teeth. Hopefully. But yes. But if you want to have good ideas, how often do you write down ideas? I write down 10 ideas every single morning. I've been doing it for two years. 98% of them are terrible ideas, <laughs> but there's 2% mm-hmm. that could be winners. And I constantly train. I get a theme. I said, this is what I want to think about today. Crazy promotions, fans first experiences, things we can put at the ballpark. And I go in, I just do it every morning. My morning starts with, the first thing I do is I read, then I write 10 ideas, then I write in my journal, and then I literally do a thank you note. And then I run and do a podcast. That's every single morning. Mm-hmm. So it takes discipline. Mm-hmm. I think everyone wants that brilliant idea right now. All right, yeah. It's taken 12 years of writing down terrible ideas. Mm-hmm. Like the world's largest tickets that we did a few <laughs> years ago in Gastonia. They were this big. I thought everyone would love a giant poster. Our fans hated them. What do I do with them? They're coming to the gate saying, these are the worst tickets I've ever seen. It took those to come up with the banana-shaped tickets that are scratch and sniff and smell yes. like bananas. Oh, my gosh. We still have those tickets 
around the house. Like they're just everywhere. Yes. And normally you would just chunk the ticket when you walk out the gate and we have those tickets. But it's become kind of a memory. It's part of a keepsake. And you think about that. What do most companies do? They save money on tickets. Mm -hmm. They do a cheap little ticket and they do that. Mm -hmm. No, we look at what can invest in the experience. And I think for instance, another example is like how we ship merchandise. Mm -hmm. We could ship it in a regular package, but we get custom made yellow boxes, have an actual delivered fresh banana stamp that goes on it. Mm -hmm. We put koozies, decal, a personal letter, tissue. It's those attention to detail. And again, it's about creating that experience. So the easiest mentality is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And we always say, write down something that's normal. So for instance, this year, I'll tell you something we're thinking about. We've always had a bat boy. And we actually dress him up as a bat boy. I actually am considering like a 40-year-old man and being Batman. Like actually having a Batman Dark Knight because it's like, that doesn't make sense. You could have one manager. Could we have 4,000 managers one game? That's the exact opposite. How could we have 4,000 people manage the game? I don't know. But these are the things we think about. Whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And these are the ideas I write down. So it's very hard to come up with ideas unless you're doing it regularly. And then we have idea paloozas. We bring in the entire staff. We have one on Friday. Mm-hmm. And we have a theme. And we throw in ideas. And sometimes there's drink and there's fun going on during these ideas. Yeah. And we come up with things and we just run with it. I've shared it many times. Ideas our currency, but it's implementation that will make you rich. Ideas are there, but you need to implement. And we focus so hard on those implementers in our business. So, but that's who we are. That's part of our business is ideas every day. Thinking back, at what point did you come to that realization that that was the case? I mean, other than Gastonia, I know that you didn't go right into Gastonia and say, okay, we have to do this completely different. I mean, was there something that you've read or is there something that you did and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. If you want great ideas, you got to get out of your bubble. And so what I did is I started learning from the cruise industry. I started learning from Ritz Carlton. I started learning from Blue Man Group. I started reading books like Marketing Outrageously and Buzz Marketing, all things that had very little to do with baseball and started, how do you bring that in? Some of my best ideas are when I'm out on vacation because you clear yourself of what you get space. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember sitting in Putacana, this is about five years ago. And all of a sudden this young woman came over, we we're sitting at the pool, Emily and I, and said, would you like a cooling towel? And I was like, yes, I would love a cooling towel. And she gave me this nice cooling towel and I put it on my neck. So what do you think we did the next year? You'd love this. Yeah, a cooling towel. We teamed up with a heating and cooling company, mm-hmm. Gastonia Sheet Metal, and we had cooling girls that walked around the ballpark passing out cooling towels mm-hmm. to all of our fans that they were sitting. And then we realized that they took them, all of them home. So we went through like thousands <laughs> of cooling towels. Again, we learned pretty quickly. But that's got to be a keepsake. <laughs> yes. And then they came over with popsicles. This all happened on a cruise ship. Mm. I mean, it all happened on a vacation. So now it's like with our parking penguins, which doesn't make any sense. I love it. We I have, mean, I do love the parking penguins. You see, like, <laughs> I love it. You, of course. So that's a great opportunity for you, by the way. So what we're going to do is this year, I want to get freezy pops mm-hmm. and put in coolers. And so every parking penguin, when they see a little kid, they give them a freezy pop. Oh. So it adds to the experience. I want to be a little kid. Yes. <laughs> but you see, it's how we think of the idea. Yeah. It is what's the best possible experience, what's over the top. But we have to get out of our own world to come up with those ideas. I wouldn't have come up with that if I was sitting in our office. Yeah, absolutely. So how often on vacation do you say, wow, that was great. Can we use that in our business? So as a business owner out there listening to this, that means you must go take a vacation. <laughs> yes, everyone take a I mean, I will say that, and we take pride in this. We've sent our entire staff on cruises and bring their spouses and commitment others. Investing in your people is the best investment you can make. Does that cost thousands of dollars? You better believe it, but yes. it's the best investment. Yes. And I think people look at payroll as a cost. No, it should be an investment. Yes. And so those are things, I know we could go on a tangent, but those are things that we've done for our people as we look, how can we make them feel like they're part of the family and invest in them and invest in their education? We pay everyone to read at our Better Book Club. We pay for them to go to conferences because we're building the person and then that will help build the business. But the building the person is first. And even if they leave the business in a year, if we help build that one person, we made a difference. We made an impact. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. So I like to do a little spinoff of that. And uh, taking this either from you, I'm pretty sure it was from something that you said over the past years or a couple of years. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) So all of my team members, they all know that if Icebound's not their end game, 
I want to know about that. I don't want it to be a secret. I want to know, okay, well, ice bounds a stepping stone to this mm-hmm. process or this end goal. And I have one technician who wants to be an owner, a business owner of an AC company. And so that like, I want to teach him how to do this. And that was the reason why I originally started my other podcast was I really wanted to inform other people, the things that aren't taught, like Mm -hmm. the things they don't tell you about that. And that's like, I think I got that from you because I would rather him be at Icebound and be happy and understand everything that we're doing and what it takes to be a business owner. And he still may say, oh yeah, that's awesome. I still want to do it. But he might say, okay, that's a lot more work or a lot more stress than I really want to deal with. But either way, it's a win. Either way. You know, 100%. you need to look at as a leader and as a business owner, you work for your people. Yes. It's not the other way around. And most business owners think that their people work for them. Mm-hmm. No, you got it backwards. Yeah. And once you change that mind thinking, it's a game changer. And the reason for our success, and we're so humbled by it, it's because of all those different things. It's our people. Mm-hmm. It's not me and Emily. Mm-hmm. It's our people leading it. And I think you got to give credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. So we're just the one that's kind of mentoring and coaching. It, and it's so funny because some of your staff just got married and Julie was talking to Emily and she said, we're all in Ohio or wherever. And like literally the whole, whole staff whole staff goes to Ohio yes. to go to a wedding or of a family. staff member. Yeah. Yes. Or a family. And it's so crazy <laughs> to think that because there's so many businesses out there that after five o'clock, don't call me. Like, yes. Don't say my name. Yeah. You know? Or in the morning, they say, don't talk to me until they have my coffee. Right. You know, that's, right, right. But I did some surveying, I guess, and how I do surveying. I don't do it the normal way. I just, hey, Lizzie, what do you like? What do you think right? about this? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I just said, hey, why do you like working here? Just out of curiosity. She's like, I don't know. You know, it's just, it's fun. I go, no, why do you really like working here? She's like, I don't know. We have a good time. I go, Lizzie, why? And asking why three times right. you get to the root. Yes. She goes, I don't know. It's just the people. Yeah. We just have fun. And I think it's the people. And how do you create that culture where it's okay? We talked about this before. People can talk that they don't do work. In an eight-hour day, no one's going to work for eight hours. Right. As a business owner, be okay with it. Yeah. If you walk in, there's four people watching a video and laughing together, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good for your culture. Mm-hmm. People want, oh, you weren't here at nine o'clock. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. I love watching people laugh. It's so fun. funny whenever, because I'll go to other conferences with the air conditioning guys and air conditioning owners, and they'll say, how many of your guys are on time every single day, every single morning? And it's like... I mean, they get there when they get there and they're like, how do you, your head not explode? We're going to a breakfast meeting. We all meet up every Monday morning and we're supposed to be there between 7.30 and 7.45. Mm-hmm. Most of the times everybody's there 7.15, 7.30, 7.45. Every now and then somebody will roll in at eight o'clock. Nobody sees me get upset or yeah. frustrated at all. And they're like, that's completely different than what I'm used to. Yes. It's like, there's a reason why you're late and you know that we're supposed to be here at this mm-hmm. time, but there's no reason for me to stress you out or stress myself 100%. out over this because this happened. I'll jump in. One of the great lessons is uh, Whale Done, the book by Ken Blanchard. Mm-hmm. He said how they taught the whales at SeaWorld is when they do something right, they feed them. Mm-hmm. But when they do something wrong, they ignore it. Ignore it. Most companies, they exactly catch people doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, yeah, we have every other staff chat, staff meeting that we have on Monday 9, someone will show up late. We don't even acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. The meeting starts right at 9 <laughs> and we're talking and it, it is what it is. But I'll tell you, I had the same thing. I said, what disrespect? What are they thinking? But what does that accomplish? Exactly. Carry on the meeting, let people have fun, and they're going to either feel uncomfortable or the other people on the team are going to call them out. Right. And that's, and that's exactly what happened with us one yes. time. One of the guys was an hour late. And it was an honest mistake on him. He saw the schedule. He thought it said 8.30 and it was actually 7.30. He strolled into the restaurant. We were sitting at this huge round table and nobody acknowledged it. it said, hey, here's the menu. Go ahead and get your food ordered ready. And nobody said anything to him. And then afterwards, the other guys were like giving a hard time about it. Like, you know, you can't read your schedule. Stuff like that. But it's really funny because... I never even acknowledged it. I mean, uh, purposely, 
Yeah. No. Let the no. culture develop. Not make a yeah. big deal about it. The yeah. culture is going to develop. You can be a leader, but you can't be the one that actually makes everything happen. And if you do, you stress yourself out. Yes. And you, you become the micromanager that you can never leave the business. Yes. Like you can never. And the person outside. you don't want to be, the person that people don't want to work for. Mm-hmm. The person that you left to go, you left yes. before to go. Yes. To this has been good tangents. I like where we're going with these. Like, great tangents. <laughs> great tangents. The listeners, hope you're following us because this is getting weird. <laughs> it's getting super different. <laughs> so I do want to wrap it up. So we're not like spinning it all day because, I mean, literally, we could talk for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, good luck. This, this is a 12-hour <laughs> taping. Yes. Good luck. But I truly want to say thank you. And not just for the people from Savannah, because anybody that listens to any of my other stuff, I'm always talking about Jesse Cole and the Yellow Tux and the book that you put out and all of your interviews that you do on your podcast and Mike McCallowitz. And I mean, everybody that you talk to and then I'm like, oh, that's, that guy's really interesting. Like, <laughs> go check him out. But basically from the whole world. Just say thanks Thank to, you. to everything that you've done and, and all the content that you put out there. And if anybody is listening to this or watching this and you're not following Jesse on everything because <laughs> he's literally everywhere, you're missing out for sure. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or to just follow you on LinkedIn, follow you on? I learned an amazing lesson when I was 25 years old and being the crazy hungry guy I was, I read Mark Cuban's book and I said, I'm going to shoot him an email. And I emailed him 25 years old. He wrote back within an hour and a half. That's so crazy. And I was blown away. And since that point, I've said every person, any person who reaches out, I will write back. And if I can help in any way, after this, I actually got two interviews with sports management majors at different colleges. And because when you teach, you learn and you're a part of something, you're helping. And it's just one person can make a huge difference and impact. So to answer that question, just you can reach out jesse at the savannahbananas.com. I do post every day on LinkedIn and Facebook, but reach out if I can help anyway, or just share stories. I think we need to all be open to sharing our story, to telling it more. It's not about you when you share your story. It helps people realize their own story and give them permission to tell it as well. And I think that's the key. Don't be afraid to talk about what you're doing and teaching and helping others. And that's what I'm trying to do every day. That's awesome. That is so appreciative of everybody. And I love the story whenever you went back and said you're handwriting letters to everybody yes. in the morning and you wrote a letter to Don Miller and you wrote yes. it to Simon Sinek and then all of a sudden you get yeah, I'll, I'll jump on that if you want me to share it's, that it's the funniest yeah I mean I loved it whenever you did it in Simon's voice so. yeah I'll share <laughs> it totally and right. I think if there's totally one fast. takeaway a business yeah. owner can do is write thank you letter for once a day for seven days get into a seven day habit of doing it I started in 2016 I said I'm going to write a thank you letter every single day and I committed to it and one of my first ones was Simon Sinek the famous TED talk start with why and I was blown away by it. It changed my life. It changed everything. So I wrote him a thank you letter. And about a week or two later, I'm driving for lunch and I get this unknown phone number and I answered it. And I said, hello, this is Jesse. And he goes, Jesse, it's Simon Sinek here. And I go, shut up. Who is this? And he goes, it's Simon Sinek. And I go, no, it's not. Who's messing with me? And he said, no, I'm calling you because your letter inspired me more than you know. I go, Simon, are you kidding me? You've inspired me more than anything in this world. He goes, it's people like you, why I do what I do, to inspire others. And that made such an impact on me. And since we correspond, I sent another letter to him. He wrote back with another handwritten letter to me. And it's those people that really make a difference. So even to this day, two years later, I still write a thank you letter every single day. Because if you can make an impact on one person and share how they've impacted you, it's unbelievable how much it can spread and the difference it can make. So I challenge everyone, write a handwritten letter. It means the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm Brian Orr. This podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network, and you can find out more by going to bluecollarroots.com. You can also listen to this podcast at bluecollarroots.com. 
The best way to listen to a podcast is by doing so on an application on your phone, an app on your phone. So if you have an Apple phone, an iPhone, then you can use the little purple tower right on your phone called the podcast app and listen to this podcast anytime just by typing in Service Business Mastery in the search bar and hitting subscribe. Similar process if you are on an Android device, either download the Stitcher app. You can do it there. You can also do it within the Google Play Store and just type in Service Business Mastery, hit subscribe, and then you won't miss any of the future episodes. Also, if you're willing, reviews in the podcast app or in iTunes really help the podcast grow. So if you enjoy what you hear here, then go on the podcast app and leave us a review. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the Service Business Mastery Podcast.